Hey, how are you? How are we? Good. Um, hey, we are glad you're here. My name is Ben. Um, I'm one of the guys who works here. Uh, and I, uh, I am going to explain why these jokers are up on stage here in just a second. Real quick, I want to fill you guys in. If you're new here, right? If you're new here, if you haven't been here in a while or anything like that, tonight does look really different. Uh, we talk a lot on Wednesday night about, man, we don't want to be a show. We don't want to show up and do like a Christian show once a week. Um, just, that's not what we're into. That's not, we're, that's not what gets us excited. That's not what we want to give our life away. What, what we see that's powerful is the community of God, a community of people who rally around the gospel, who are changed by the gospel and being changed by the gospel. And it's really churchy rhetoric. And so if you're like, I don't know what the heck that means. Great, that's fine. You're in the right place. Um, but man, if you want to get connected to us as a community, then man, these cards that are in the seat in front of you, fill it out and on your way out, drop it at that board that's, that's hanging around on this, this back wall or hand it to us or me or somebody. Uh, we would love to follow up with you, uh, take you to get a beer, take you to get a cup of coffee, buy you a burger, whatever that looks like. Maybe all of those. Maybe you could drink a beer while drinking a cup of coffee and eating a burger. Uh, all of those things are on the table. Um, but just kind of whatever that looks like for you, we'd love to get to know you and actually get you plugged in uh, to, to this family, honestly, and, and try to do our best at that. We're really imperfect, like Brett said, especially Brett. We're just all really imperfect, but especially Brett. Um, and uh, yeah, amen, Brett. Uh, just kidding. <laughs> um, but, uh, but the other thing is, man, we got a ton of stuff going on. And so often with like ministries like this, it's like, man, I don't, I'm not in the in crowd. I don't know what's happening. I don't know where you guys are hanging out and what that looks like. So follow us on social media or there should be a calendar either that you're sitting on or the person next to you is sitting on that just kind of shows what our rhythm looks like during the summer. Um, we as, as Renovate on a Wednesday night, we're obviously here tonight because you're here tonight. Um, but then also next week, we're gonna finish the book of First Peter. Uh, and I'm super excited about that. We've been just moving through the book of First Peter for the last couple months. We're finishing it next week. Then it's July 4th. And man, everyone kind of goes and does their own thing for July 4th. And then all the rest of July and the first couple weeks in August, we're gonna take five weeks and we're not meeting in this place. We're not meeting at the church. We're meeting in our homes. So like on July 11th, all of you, are invited to my 900 square foot house, right? Um, all of you, is my wife in the room? Where's my wife? Okay, she's back there. Yeah, see? Um, my wife and I will welcome you and our five-year-old and our almost five-year-old and our almost two-year-old will welcome you into our home. It's gonna be awesome and sweaty and you're gonna get bit by mosquitoes and all that kind of stuff. But we would love for you to come. We're gonna worship Jesus in our home. And then the next week, we're gonna be at the Taylor's house. And you're, what, August 1st, right? Uh, Josh and Haley. And so we're just inviting you guys. We're going to your house, right, one day? Oh, oh, no, keep her muted. Uh, <laughs> July 25th. Uh, so anyway, man, that's what it's looking like. So if you all of a sudden are like show up in the middle of July and you're like, oh, man, I didn't get the memo, we don't want anyone July to be left 25th. out. And so grab those calendars, put that. Our addresses, our personal addresses are there. If you want to start stalking us now, that's fine. And then we're going to kick back into this kind of more cor corporate worship in the middle of August. So we just want you to be informed. We don't want anyone to like show up here. July 25th. July 25th is Carly's house. She's obviously very eager about that. So um, yeah, so anyway, cool. Is everybody in the loop? Okay, good, good, thank you. All right, so uh, here's what tonight is going to happen. I have invited, we're going through 1 Peter. We've been chugging along through 1 Peter. Uh, we just finished uh, chapter four last week. Ryan McCarthy stinking brought it. Um, that guy's incredible. Uh, finished up that fourth chapter. Um, and one of the things we thought was, was let's do something different tonight. We're gonna finish the book next week, but tonight, let's take a pause. We have been chewing on four chapters of this 
I would say, incredible book in the New Testament that is incredibly relevant for our generation living such as a time as we are living in the culture we're living in. Um, and we thought, man, I'm gonna invite three of my favorite people up on stage that I think, no joke, God has given gifts to and incredible wisdom and three very different perspectives to say, man, let's interact. Let's interact with these last several weeks. Let's interact with the word of God. How, how do you guys see it? How has it affected you? How has it play out in your life? And just make this really real and spend 20 or 30 minutes just talking through this uh, with, with these people. So right here to my immediate right, this, ladies and gentlemen, is Carly McDougall. As you can tell by the volume in the room, if you don't know Carly McDougall, she's a big deal. Uh, Carly McDougall is, uh, is, Carly is on uh, my staff. Carly is unbelievably gifted, um, but also Carly is someone who loves people really, really well. She loves Jesus. She loves his word. And um, if you've ever gotten to sit one-on-one at a coffee table with her, she is a speaker of truth into people's lives. And so I thought, huh. I'm gonna drag her up on stage and I'm gonna make her speak truth to all of us at one time. Not at a coffee table, just an entire room full of 180 people, right? This will be perfect. Uh, so anyway, man, I, I asked Carly to be here for that reason. Carly, give us like the 90 second version of, of your story. Totally. Um, so as many of you know, I grew up in Magnolia, Texas, if anybody has heard of it. Magnolia, anyone? Nice. Adam has nice. heard of Nice, Adam, it. nice. Um, yeah, so I grew up in Magnolia, Texas um, in a Christian home. My parents loved Jesus a whole lot. And so I grew up um, surrounded by the gospel. Um, but I really would say that I began to um, understand the depths of the gospel maybe within the last three or four years. Um, not even that, really, probably th- two or three years. Um, but I feel like a whole new um, just understanding of the gospel has been displayed once I started experiencing suffering, like real-life suffering, um, and began to see that the gospel is um, true and real and is our only steady hope <laughs> yeah. when things really start to just hit the fan. Yeah. Um, and so anyway, yeah, so it's been really sweet to see this whole new love for the gospel um, growing up hearing it, but not really understanding until, you know, recently. The it's like last week, really. I mean, it was yesterday, literally yesterday. Yeah, yeah, great. So. It's about time. Uh, no, that's awesome. That's yeah. true. I'm sorry to make light of your very personal story. No, that's okay. I apologize. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> okay. <laughs> Next, this guy, uh, this is one of my favorite people. I have gotten to do ministry with this guy. I've gotten to walk with him. I have been humbled in seasons to disciple him, and I have also been discipled. The Lord has used him in incredible ways to disciple me. Uh, This is my boy, Ryan Christian. He cusses a lot, so we're going to leave his mic on mute. Uh, (laughs) It's on. Try it again. They'll find you on the board. Just keep talking. <laughs> I'm going to borrow hers. Does that work? Okay, so this is, I get a little bit more than 90 seconds. You get as long as you need, bro. You're Ryan Christian. Okay. Um, so I did not grow up in a Christian home. Uh, the first time that I went to church with my parents was like one of the most humiliating days of my life. And I didn't want to have anything to do with Christianity. It was actually that. at Christ Chapel, right? Actually at Christ Chapel. No joke. Yes. They put like me in a, a small group, and uh, the leader of the group made me pray, and I was like, what? Is, what, what? You're like a junior pray? high kid? A junior high kid? I was in eighth grade. And he made me pray, and I left, and I was like, I do not want to have anything to do with Christians. And it just 
that kind of carried on into college. My life was centered around sports. So I was an athlete. I played uh, football, basketball. I ran track. Um, I did soccer. But uh, my value, my pursuit was uh, I wanted to be a professional football player as a kid. And what kid in America doesn't want to be a professional athlete? <laughs> you asked 50% of the kids, I guarantee you they'll want to be an athlete. So um, as a kid, I wanted to be Emmett Smith, actually. So uh, <laughs> I, and I'm white. Um, yes. <laughs> and so as a, a little kid, I played running back. And I played running back through middle school, um, high school, and then I got the opportunity to go play football at TCU. And so, we any frogs in the room? <laughs> go frogs. Um, and so I played football at TCU. Um, I think I went to church a couple times in, uh, in school with a girl, just to, like, impress her, I think. Um, terrible, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but I did that in college, and then after college, I had the opportunity to go and play professional football in Canada. Um, and um, Yeah, a lot of Canada football fans in the room. <laughs> okay. Does anybody know anything about Canadian football? <laughs> Nobody in the room? Okay, he's being humble, too. So Ryan was a really big deal in sports, too. Like, he set all the records for Alito High School until Jonathan Gray ruined, ruined all that for you. Killed everybody. Uh, but he set all the records. And then TCU, he was a big deal if you guys were around in that era. And then he played for the Toronto Argonauts. And, and y'all won the Super Bowl that year? or We lost the Grey Cup. Oh, uh, y'all lost well, in the championship game? No, it was the game before. So the game before, okay. Uh, but if you Google, he, is it still the record? Yeah. He set the record for the longest uh, kickoff return for a touchdown in Toronto Argonauts history. So you could Google that. It's a really big deal. Real thing. No, no, no. no. no we don't want your pity. We it's don't want your cool. pity. If you're not impressed, don't clap. <laughs> it's not that cool. So, um, so that's kind of where my journey uh, really with God began is, uh, I want to read the scripture, actually. This is uh, Ecclesiastes 6. He says, there's an evil that I've seen under the sun. And it lies heavy on mankind. A man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor, so nothing of all that he desires, yet God does not give him the power to enjoy them, but a stranger enjoys them. This is vanity. It is a grievous evil. That's really my experience, is God allowed me to have what I actually I wanted. Like, I wanted to be a professional athlete, and I became that. And it was so... The word he says is vanity, it's hebel, and it means vapor. And that is what my life felt like up to that point. It was just a vapor. I just wasted, it felt like 25 years of my life pursuing something that didn't actually fulfill me or satisfy me. And it wasn't until I got back after the season, uh, there was a guy that I played football with at TCU named Trebius. Where's Ken at? Yeah, he knows. Uh, y'all know, some of y'all probably know Trebius. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so... Uh, one of my buddies in school that we used to party, like, Trebius used to party before, like, he became a follower of Christ. Um, yeah, I put him on the you spot. Don't, you don't party after you start following Christ, right? Um, the, the wine gets better after you start following yeah. Christ. Um, different kind of parties. That was dumb. Um, that was dumb. <laughs> that was such a churchy joke. Anyway. And so, uh, man, so... Literally, okay, I get back from Canada, and all I was responsible for, y'all, I brought back a bunch of money. I'm not going to say how much, but I brought back a bunch of money. I got a brand new Jeep. I was living with my girlfriend at this point, and I was so empty. I literally had everything, but I didn't have anything at the same time. 
And so my buddy Trevius called me one day, and he was like, hey, man, uh, he was actually leaving to go on a mission trip to China. So God had touched his life, and he had got involved here. And uh, we met at a coffee shop the day before he was leaving to go to China. And I was probably two weeks from going back to Canada. And, uh, and we met that night uh, before he left, and he shared Christ with me. And honestly, I don't remember. He didn't walk me through the Romans road. It was just... His life was the aroma of Christ. He had peace, and he had joy, and he had purpose, and he had all of these things that I did not have. And I remember leaving that conversation, and I got in my car, and I was just like, God, I, I want what he has. I don't have any of those things. I don't have purpose. I'm not living for anything but myself, and my life isn't, I haven't touched anybody's life, and it's just, it feels like vapor, and um, I got in my car, and I was driving back to my girlfriend, and I just stopped. There's a, a four-way stop over by TCU, and I just stopped over by the baseball field, and I was just like, God, you know, whatever you want to do for my life, um, my life is yours now. I'm done trying to do it my way. I don't want to try to figure it out, but I'm going to entrust my life to you now to, so you can do what you want to with me. And I just remember for the first time in my life, I actually experienced a peace of God, and um, and it was real, and it just flooded my car, and I knew that no matter what was going to happen in my life, that God was going to take care of me, and that God had a plan for my life, and um, and then, you know, a couple weeks later, Ben got home from, he was actually on that trip with Trevious, and I remember talking to him on the phone, and uh, Ben got home, and man, Ben was just, um, it was just this amazing time that Ben just invested him, invested in my life, and I told him the other day, I was like, Ben, I'm your fruit, like, God use you to pour into my life and, um, and transform me, really. Um, I don't think, I, I wouldn't be where I am today if it wasn't for just God using you to uh, invest in me and give your life away from me. There was nothing that you hid from me. There was nothing that you um, said was your own. It was just like you just gave your life away so that I could really experience the fullness of what God had for me. And I just give you thanks Praise for that God, and, and everybody man. here. Praise God. Love it, man. Love you. Okay, this last guy. <clears throat> this last guy. He's actually my favorite guy on the panel. Uh, you're wondering, who's this old guy, right? That's what you've all thought. You've thought, like, who is this old guy, kind of creepy, walking around the tailgate? I know you've all think. We were all thinking it, right? So that old guy down at the end, that is my dad, okay? That is Robert Fuquay. Give it up for Robert Fuquay. You are going to see tonight that while old people, although dangerous behind the wheel, really can serve a purpose... Uh, so, um, I'm the one guy on the panel that has to keep one foot on the floor. You'll notice they can balance yeah. themselves on their stools. Yeah. Not I'm, quite. I'm not, not quite at that point athlete. anymore. I can't balance. And anymore, Carly so. just can't reach, so she can't. <laughs> it just wouldn't. It wouldn't happen. You um, actually brought me to the panel for the dad jokes. Though, yes, right? the dad jokes. Uh, so, but in all, in all honesty, uh, this guy uh, is my dad, and so uh, I. I, uh, I, I love him, and I am blessed by a really cool dad, and specifically in the context of 1 Peter. When I was thinking, man, like first, so much of 1 Peter is this idea of Peter writing to a group of people who are, are living in exile. They are fleeing persecution. They're living in exile. They're living as aliens in a foreign land. They're called to be set apart from the culture they live in. And, uh, and as I was thinking, like, man, for the people I love, which is you in this room, I, I love you guys. You are this flock that I feel like God's given me a heart for. I don't even know a lot of you, and yet you are here, and I love you because the Holy Spirit in me loves you. 
And so he compels me and us on staff to be like, man, I don't even know half these faces. And yet the Holy Spirit in me is like, yes, these are my people, Ben. So love them. And so as I'm thinking through like, man, Carly would be great. Man, Ryan Christian would be great. And as I was thinking through, man, I want you guys to hear wisdom from, from my dad. Uh, he is a, he's lived as a missionary in a foreign country. Um, he left his corporate job in America. Um, we grew up in kind of a normal life, and he, he felt called to ministry and left that and lived overseas. He right now uh, helps lead teams to reach, uh, to reach Muslim refugees who are entering into Europe, uh, fleeing you know, persecution from ISIS, and they are, they are rich to hear the gospel because the Muslim faith is betraying them, literally killing their families. And so, uh, man, that's, he actually, on Father's Day, he had just gotten back from a trip, trip in Greece where he's sharing Christ. And so he's a guy who lives it out, has lived it out in very authentic ways. He is an imperfect person. He is not the perfect dad. Uh, he, is bad at, <laughs> he is bad at basketball. Uh, he is, uh, there's lots of imperfect things about him. So I don't want to put him on a pedestal, but I do think that the Lord is going to use him tonight. And so, so I ask for him to come. Robert Fuquay, share a little bit of your story. Thanks. And you're not allowed to cry. Uh, well, <laughs> I might as well walk off right now. <laughs> yeah. Mic drop. Um, yeah, I was born at a very early age. Um, there's... <laughs> That's not a dad uh, joke if you actually laugh. There's be a I think, lot so. of those tonight. Thanks, thanks for that. Sorry about that. You uh, heard the one about paper, right? No. No. You, you don't want to. It, it's terrible. Um, sorry. Uh, no, get it. That was the joke. It's terrible. Yeah. When you don't let's not joke. let's not even laugh at those for right now, guys. Let's just not do that. Let's when just not... you have to explain them, they are indeed dead yeah. jokes. No, I was born very early, uh, but I was reborn very early too. Um, unlike some of the other people on the panel, I did grow up in a Christian home, and you know, have a heritage that I'm very grateful for. Um, ironically, well, to ex also kind of explain how old I am. Um, I came to Christ listening to a radio drama on the back porch of my f um, family dairy farm in Kansas one Saturday afternoon so before, old, before television. Um, so old. You y'all don't know what radio drama is, but that, in those days we actually had drama that would be you know acted out on the radio, if you can call that acting. But anyway, the, uh, that's that's when I came to realize my need and my lostness and began my walk with Christ at a very early age. Um, it um, from even teen years, I felt that God had really kind of called me out to invest my life in some way. <clears throat> um, for the kingdom. And, you know, as a 13-year-old, I had no idea really what that looked like. But um, I, I was at a summer camp at 13 and heard a missionary speak. And I can't tell you anything he talked about, um, but something happened that week. And uh, I basically set out at 13 to try to figure out how to give my life away uh, for the sake of the kingdom. And so that took a lot of forms over the years. Uh, 22 years ago that I actually stepped out of the corporate world, as Ben said, and became a missionary, quote-unquote, um, and started that walk of faith that my wife and I have been on uh, about the time you were still in school, like in junior high, I think, Something when we like actually made that step. But um, I entered, well, you know, from the time I hit college and pursued a career, it was always with that in mind, and uh, I pursued a career... In, Interestingly enough, after coming to Christ through a radio drama, I pursued a career in film and television and uh, media. So in the 70s, I worked in Christian television. In the 80s, I worked in Christian film. 
And uh, everything that I did, I felt like there was, there was this way in which I lived that out that I felt like I was basically uniquely, you know, given some gifts that I needed to steward and give those to the Lord and that that's why he had called me out and put me in those roles. And it, it took me a while to realize that he didn't really want my giftedness and my specialness. He just wanted me and my obedience. Uh, there, was a, there was a lyric from a song from a pop band back in the day, this old band 30, 40 years ago, you probably haven't heard of, U2. Uh, it's a, the letter U and the number no, two. No, we got it. We got it. Okay. Um, but they had a song that, that spoke to stop helping God across the road like a little old lady, Bono would sing. And that's kind of how I lived out my, my walk and my ministry life, was thinking that God needed me like a little old lady and needed my help. And it wasn't until I realized he was going to do this thing. He was going to do his work of, of pushing back darkness and bringing his kingdom um, with or without me. But he had given me the privilege to lay down my life, lay down my talents, and, you know, hold them loosely, but enter in and just give myself to that. So that's kind of become my life. It has been my life, and God has continued to transform it and renovate me from, you know, phase to phase through, the, through my career, but grateful for what I've got. Renovate, shout out. I get it. I see what you did. Nice. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> okay. Uh, okay, so here's what we're going to do. Um, First Peter. Right, let's, we're going to start there. Um, we have been, it's a, five chapters in this book. We've been studying the last you know, eight weeks or however long in the first four chapters. Uh, Carly, we're going to start with you. What sticks out to you in First Peter? What is something that as you have read and spent time in First Peter over the last couple months, what's kind of one of the themes that kind of sticks out to you? And, I'm gonna, and you guys get ready. Her mic works now, I think, so we're good. Yeah, it does. Yep, yep, we're good. Nice. Um, yeah, so something that... I think has uh, really stuck out to me and meant a ton to me. Um, and I've rehearsed in my mind a lot lately. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> um, is what Ryan said last week whenever he talked about how God often leads us where we don't want to go mm. in order to produce in us what we could not produce on our own. Mm. And I feel like that has been the theme of so much of my walk with Christ is God gently calling me out into the darkness, like into, not into, I guess the darkness, but calling me into the unknown where I don't have any control over anything. Mm -hmm. And I am almost forced to open up my hand and my grip on things that I hold so dearly. Um, but open up those things and be like, okay, Lord, you're leading me where I don't want to go. Yeah. But it's cool to see the things that he produces through um, through that leading. You know Praise what I mean? God, yeah. So anyway, so that's just been something that has been really cool. That's big. Know, that's big. That that's awesome. Ryan, how about you, man? What's something that in First Peter really sticks out to you? Um, I think for me... Um, Ryan touched on, like, count it joy when you go through trials and you, mm -hmm. you suffer. And, and I see that, you know, in, uh, in the Old Testament, Moses, it says, uh, it says that Moses chose to go and suffer with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. So for me, that speaks like sin, it, it might be pleasurable while you're doing it, but ultimately sin leads to death. And so it's like, you know, I can choose to go and sin, which ultimately leads to death, you know, not just physical death, maybe, you know, maybe 
me walking in a life of sin and continuing down that road leads to death, but it also just, it creates death around us between our relationships and, um, and you know, ultimately our Heavenly Father. It's just like we're, we're isolating ourselves from God. It's not like God is, you know, is hindered by our sin. It's like we hinder ourselves when we, when we choose to enjoy sin. And, um, and I was thinking, oh, where was I going to go with that? I had a thought. Just, it, it just leads to death. And so it's like I'm either choosing life mm-hmm. or I can choose death. The, Jews, the Jewish mindset is, is am I living in life, light, or abund- increase, or I'm going to live in death, darkness, and decrease? And mm-hmm. that's, that's the way of the world. It's like ultimately we're all going to stand before God on judgment day. And it's like what did you, what did you do with the talents that I gave you? You know, it's like. Man, I just want to say, you know, Lord, I just, I gave my best, and it's, and be able to stand before him and confidently not shrink back in fear at his yeah. coming, yeah. you know, and it's not like, our sin has been paid for, but like, when we're living in sin, it's just creating death, yeah. and I remember like, in my relationships, uh, just even with my family, when I was choosing sin in college, and the friends around me, I had to like, pretend like I was somebody else, and I couldn't actually be who I, God created me to be, and now that I just... And walking in the light, not to say that I don't sin, but when we walk in the light, we have fellowship with one another, yeah. and it's and it's a it's a good thing. And yeah. so I think that's for me. That's it's good. just it's choosing an abundant life, and it's like it doesn't seem that way. It's like, man, I want to go sin and have party and have fun, but it's like, but when we choose God's way, it's like that's when we actually experience life and joy and peace, the things that I didn't experience. So I've gotten to, I've really gotten to see both sides of the coin. It's sure. like. God spared me in my sin, and now I get to enjoy his presence and fellowship with him. And yeah. so, that's good. That's real like good. Please. Too, can I say something? Yeah, of course. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but I feel like, too, kind of what you're saying and kind of um, what goes along with that is that, like, joy and peace has nothing to do with the circumstances around us. Mm. Like, there could be any kind of circumstance going on around us, but you can have a supernatural peace that doesn't make sense to the world. Absolutely, yeah. And is a testimony in and of itself of, like, you're getting that peace from somewhere that's different than this world. Totally. You know what I mean? And so it's cool to see how, like, even the way that you suffer with a supernatural kind of yeah. peace and joy in the Lord can be a testimony to others of this relationship that you have with Jesus. You know? I love that. That's so, that's so true. Pops, t- talk to, yeah, First yeah. Peter. Um, yeah, I, I haven't walked through the book recently like y'all have other than driving across the country a couple of weeks ago and listened to one of the podcasts. Nice. But it's on, yeah. Um, but one of living, you know, as a sojourner for a good part of my life and career, there's just a lot that has resonated with me from this book, uh, um, this epistle. And I've got a kind of a favorite passage from chapter four on just stewarding God's grace in our lives that, um, one, it reflects kind of a common theme for me that I've observed in how he's written so much of the bottom line is the glory of, of God. Mm. And chapter 4, and just talking about stewarding God's grace, verse 8, he says, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. And just the centrality of love and how we walk out our lives in Christian community and how we steward the grace that's been given to us has just always meant a lot to me and how he unpacks that there. And bottom line being, in order that in everything... God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Yeah, it is about God's glory. I think uh, 
you know, that kind of Christian hedonist movement. And if you guys have ever listened to Piper and we talk about it here sometimes, like just that idea that we are most satisfied. If we're in Christ, we're most satisfied where God is most glorified. You know, he is most glorified when we're satisfied in him, that, that pursuing the glory of God with my life and my calling and, my, and, and all of our lives. If we're in Christ, like that's it. I mean, Ryan is sitting at a stop, a stop sign, you know, near TCU. It's, God, my life is no longer about me. You know, anyone who has gone from death to life, that is it. To say, my, my life is not going to be about me and my glory. It's about you and your glory. And that that is not, that is not juxtaposed. That is not opposite of also satisfaction. That is actually where satisfaction is. And I think the world looks at that because of the immediate gratification that sin and living for ourselves produces, and they don't have a category for that. And honestly, maybe that's you in this room, and I love that you're here, and, and, and that's something that if you're intelligent and you're in this room, you should hear that, and you should think that is ridiculous. Like, why would I pursue holiness when I can pursue these things that the rest of the world is pursuing, and it is absolutely crazy outside of the Holy Spirit. Like, outside of what has spiritually happened in, in the gospel of my life, it is foolishness. And I don't blame anyone who looks and says, why wouldn't you just sleep with whoever you wanted to? Why wouldn't you just pursue whatever you wanted to? That, that makes logical sense to me. And yet what the gospel has done is it has flipped it over and said, but we see how fleeting that is. Um, we're not better than, we're not, but the Lord has said, I have designed things in a way that are going to go right for you, going to produce satisfaction, and it is glorifying to me. And in glorifying me, you're going to live a life of purpose, and you're going to live a life of satisfaction. You're, and not just eternally, you're going to get a ticket to heaven, but you're going to live a life that is designed to, to, to bear fruit uh, rather than, than uh, putting your roots in these things that aren't going to produce, produce fruit. Ryan, you were about to I could tell you something on the tip of your tongue. Uh, well, I was just thinking about the scripture. It says, uh, you know, uh, what fruit were you getting at the time when you were living in that sin? I don't know where, uh -huh. where that's at, but it's like, what fruit were you bearing at the time when you were yeah. living in darkness? It's yeah. like, there's no fruit. I had a, God gave me a vision one time. I wanted to make it, I told, I shared it with Ben. I wanted to make it into like a short video clip so that people could understand like what just pursuing things in this world really leads to. And mm -hmm. it, do you remember this? No. So I had a... <laughs> So I had a vision of writing, <laughs> like making a short video clip. So there was this, okay, I'm just going to do, like, I'll just do one of them. Or maybe I can do three. They're really short. So like there was this, like, I had a vision of like this guy like walking into a bar. And it's like this really long bar. It's kind of dim lit. And he walks in, he's got a suit on, he's looking dapper. And at the end of the bar is this beautiful woman in a red dress. And he's like, man, like, I'm about to go after that. And so as he starts to walk to her, the, the clock of time starts, and it's like fast forward. And so he gets, by the time that he gets to this woman, she's like 90 years old and just like this frail, like elderly woman. So it's like beauty perishes, uh, you know? And good. then there was a one of uh, this guy who's like owner of a Fortune 500 company, he like walks into his building and he's chilling, and he like is going up to the teller desk, and, and by the time he gets to the teller desk, it's the building is just run down and it's eaten away by moth and rust and it's just yeah. nothing. And it just shows like the fleeting things of this world that they're not eternal, you know. And, mm -hmm. and God has prepared good works for each of us that we should walk in them, but that's not guaranteed that we're going to walk in those yeah. things. And that's Ecclesiastes. I mean, that is, that is the book of Ecclesiastes is a king who has everything. Like it is written by this guy who has everything. He has as many wives as he wants. He has much wealth, you know, all of that. And he's like, this is vanity. It's fleeting. So I love that.
One of the big themes of, uh, of First Peter is this idea of suffering. And if you were here last week, Ryan McCarthy uh, unpacked and, and really took us deep in, in what that looks like. Um, you know, Dad, I'd love for you to share just kind of some of the suffering that you've seen in your life and how God has been sovereign through that, how you have seen God use that. Because I think it's an easy concept to be like, okay, as Christians, God uses suffering. But like, how does that really play itself out? Well, in, uh, in 65 years, you get to see a lot of that. Um, yeah. You're only 65? Yeah. <laughs> Second Corinthians. Got him. You just, you come across way older, that's all. Um, 35. Yeah, I, I, I think for me, I mean, in a text, it's summed up in 2 Corinthians 4, starting in verse 7. Um, and it says, Paul says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. And um, I just, I don't know, the, the idea of cracked pots just seems to typify my life at this point. You know, I, I have lived a lot of life, uh, six, 60 years of trying to walk, walk the Christian life, and this old pot has a lot of cracks in it. But just the, the cracks in this pot have become real treasures for my wife and I as we've seen God just layer on us um, affliction over the years. And I could give you just a number of their just some really key periods we walked through affliction, deep, dark, difficult times from early in our marriage of just uh, various things. Uh, t- the first 10 years was very difficult because of just the fact that it was a great affliction for my wife uh, that just almost destroyed my family by the time we were married 10 years. Um, but it was just because it wasn't an affliction for me because I was buried in my work and had no idea what I'd dumped on her. But that was kind of one of the first layers of affliction. But uh, we dealt with with mental illness that came out of that um, as a result of my sin against her that we that's become part of our life. Uh, but it's a cherished piece of our lives still. Um, but uh, one of the greatest pains that we walked through that Ben was right there in the middle of it, was just coming to a point of almost losing our firstborn son, Aaron, Ben's big brother. And uh, we were in missions. We were getting a team ready to go to Yekaterinburg, Russia. And we were at the office until midnight every night. And we got home about 1 a.m. one one morning. And Ben, I don't know if you were even living with us at the time, but you came over to the house because they had been trying to get a hold of us. They couldn't reach us at the office. I th- was this before cell phones? Probably. It wasn't, but I don't, I don't know. But we, we finally get home. Maybe it was just you wanted to see us face-to-face. Yeah, so I he walks in and tries to unpack for us the fact that our, our son, Aaron, had been, he, he was in Dallas County Jail locked up at that point, but he'd spent like the last tw- 24 hours already trying to get a hold of us with his one phone call. Uh, I guess he reached Ben eventually, but he was in Parkland, handcuffed to a bed for most of that time. So we got the news that he had been arrested. He had um, been gotten involved in drugs, and this one particular night um, went out under the influence of mushrooms, which is a hallucinogenic. Aaron only did natural drugs like mushrooms and marijuana. You know, he was the proud of stuff. that. Yeah. His mom is still proud of him that, for that for this day. But, um, yeah, no chemicals, you know. But mushrooms... 
uh, and we don't say we don't say that to to make light of that. Yeah. Also, like in his mind, it was a justification of like this is okay, it's natural. I'm not going to do these things, and so he had kind of created. So I, I don't want to come across insensitive if that is a, a struggle because that is a, a struggle for a lot of us. Yeah. But for him, it was a justification, and he did shrooms. Yeah, he, he yeah he campaigned for the legalization of marijuana. I mean, sure. he, that was that was this kind of guy he was, but. Um, yeah, he did this, these shrooms, and it sent him off on this trip, which his, his trips under mushrooms were very spiritual. This one was one where the spirit of darkness took him and stripped him down naked, took, had him take all his clothes off. He was running through the streets of Addison in the middle of the night, screaming and going to North Dallas Tollway to throw himself in front of a car because the enemy had convinced him that if he could just kill himself, he would be delivered back into reality from this trip he was on. So he eventually, cops were called, and so he ends up in a, in a fight with an Addison police officer where he actually, and there was a second officer, a third officer eventually, and he just was going at him. And in this fight, he actually saw the officer's gun in the holster and saw that as God's provision to deliver him instead of the traffic. So he reaches and grabs the officer's gun, pulls it out of the holster, and he, as he does, it discharges and shoots the officer's pocket knife, bruises his leg. And so Aaron, you know, the long story short, he gets a charge against him, which is assault with a deadly weapon against a public servant. Which is illegal, guys. Yeah. But had, had he gotten a, just a marijuana charge or a drug charge, yeah. he would have, you know, taken that as a martyr. This got his attention, and his life was transformed. I guess the bottom line to that, I mean, it's his testimony, but the, the elements of how that impacted me as a father and just what God did in that. Ann and I, this happened within blocks of our ministry office where we still worked at that time and before we moved to Russia. And when we would drive through that neighborhood, we would literally get sick in the pit of our stomach. We could feel a pain. And there, I, could, I can unpack a number of different afflictions that we've walked through in, in 44 years of marriage, but every one of them are some level of pain and wounds. But what God has taught us, built in us, renovated in us, um, and what he did in bringing Aaron to the end of himself in, in such a merciful way. The fact that he himself wasn't killed that night was just a God deal. God intervened and, and saved his life. And if you want to read about it, open up Psalm 118 because it's Aaron's psalm. And uh, he believes to this day that we gave him the name Aaron so that he would discover that psalm in jail. And, and just his life was transformed as he began to unpack the Bible. And that was the first chapter that he began to yeah. unpack. But the, the, the bottom line is we went through a number of things in Russia as we lived there, just betrayal in the field with the uh, Russian Christians that we were partnered with, this very deeply painful things. Those things have become such treasures to us. And, you know, as Paul said, um, let me just finish this passage. These, uh, we have this, this treasure in jars of clay to show that the, yeah, to show that the, the passing, you know, the, the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We're afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying the body in the body, the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. And he goes on to say, so we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. 
uh, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And, you know, uh, Hebrews 12 talks about Jesus walking through just even the, the I mean, unbearable for, from our standpoint, affliction of the cross for the sake of the joy that was set before him. But I, it's just the, the, the treasure that Ann and I hold now for the way God has used suffering in our lives is just something that's become very special in how he uh, continues to use that to sanctify us day by day. And I, I mean, I can speak into that too. And just watching my dad uh, wrestle through, you know, his firstborn son, my older brother, trying to take his life and then shooting a cop, you know, getting naked and shooting a cop, and uh, and just how life ruining that would be for a parent in so many ways. To think my oldest son has ruined his life, and yet, you know, now twelve years later, or whatever, we see God's sovereignty through that. I mean, it radically changed my brother's life and the way my brother loves the Lord now and pursues Him. And, all these other elements and the hardships they've gone through with Russia, I've gotten to kind of get a front row seat in that. And, and cancer, you know, my dad had cancer uh, that was tough and scary and, you know, was this thing that all along, though, I've seen them. Uh, and it's, I think there's something easy about, like, looking at someone who's lived more life to say, wow, this isn't just, oh, hard things happen. Okay, I know God's behind it. Like, really living it out and, and claiming those things as treasures to me and to us, I think we should see that and be like, wow, how can I see those afflictions as treasured moments of cracks that reveal God's glory? Carly, will you speak a little bit, just in your experience, of how you have seen kind of that play out? And then I want to shift to, to one more category here. Um, I, yeah, okay, I'm going to touch on that real quick. Yeah, of course. Um, so something that I remember in college, um, a girl taught me that has changed my entire perspective on suffering mm-hmm. Um, was she got a coffee pot, or no, a coffee mug, and she smashed it on the ground, and then she came back, and she, like, glued it back together as best as she could, and then we went into a dark room, which sounds creepy, but it wasn't, and (laughs) uh, turned off the lights, and then lit a candle inside of the mug, and it was cool because the light only showed through the cracks, and ever since then, that has been such a reminder to me about what suffering um, how suffering can be used actually as um, such a form of light um, and showing what the Lord has done in your life and how he has used suffering to actually bring his name glory. Yeah, that's good. And for me, um, that looked uh, in the form of depression. Um, I have battled depression um, off and on since freshman year of college Um And it has been very dark and very lonely and very scary at times. Um, And, but what's been really cool has been the fact that, like, God has used what the enemy meant for evil. Like, the enemy meant for, like, depression to be something that would steer me away from the Lord, something that would actually make me turn my face from him. Um, But it's been cool to see how, um, actually, it has been such a driving factor to mm-hmm. place me before the Lord and saying, God, I can't control what's going on in my life. I can't control the loneliness that I feel and um, the hurt and all of the different factors that led to the depression. Um, but what I can control is the fact that I want to know you and I want to see what you're trying to yeah. do in the middle of this. And um, I remember uh, in college, an analogy that someone told me about was like, Sorry, I'm all about analogies. They help me, clearly. That's good. Um, 
But I remember someone talking about how, like, love for the Lord is like a fire, and um, you need logs on the fire in order to to sustain this love. And so, and logs on the fire are like knowledge of the Lord. And so the more that you begin to know the Lord and you begin to see who he is, the more this fire is cultivated in your Mm -hmm. heart for him. And so even in the midst of struggling with depression, I remember being like, okay, I'm going to like just each day try my hardest to just know the Lord and know who he is and like fuel that fire of love for him. It's awesome. Um, And it was cool to see how like, the depression didn't necessarily go away instantly, mm-hmm. but I learned so much more. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, through it. Said so, through that. Yeah. That's so good. Um, one of the things that First Peter talks a lot about is holiness. Um, so I kind of want us to kind of start wrapping up with this, but I want to hear from you guys on, you know, First Peter is this book about, okay, there's this suffering element, there's this holiness of what it looks like to submit, to submit to the Lord, to live this life of holiness and live this life of holiness in a culture that is not. And we've touched on that kind of the beginning, even with some of y'all stories. Real practical, I'd love to hear from you three. How do we do that? What, how do we, I think it's easy for a churchy kind of event, yeah, we need to pursue holiness, we need to see sufferings differently. Speak into that um, with your wisdom. How do we pursue holiness in a way in this, in this culture? What's that look like? Kylie, we start? Yeah. Um, I think that for me, it's easy to look at the Bible and look at holiness and be like, okay, what do I need to do? Mm-hmm. What can I do to be holy? Yeah. Um, because it's, I need other people to see that, you know, all the holiness or whatever. Right. But I feel like it's funny because everything about the gospel is counterintuitive to what we think. Yeah. Um, but really, holiness actually has nothing to do with me. Like, it has absolutely nothing to do with mm-hmm. me. Um, it has everything to do with the Lord. And so the That's more good. that I begin to just place myself in a position that I am just wanting to know more, grow more, um, and just... Uh, surrender to him, uh-huh. I feel like the more that he begins to cultivate in me holiness that I can't even see, you know? And I have begun to pray that I can't see my holiness because whenever I begin to, like, look at it and notice it, then I become prideful. And <laughs> right. then it becomes, like, you know what I mean? And I've so, noticed that in you too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> no, so I just feel like it just has so much to do That's with so looking good. at the Lord That's and so not good. anything at yourself. Really and then good. he'll do in you what you don't even realize he's doing. You yeah, know? I love that. Ryan, how about you, man? What? How would you answer that? I just would um, kind of piggyback on what she said. If um, Holiness is just a byproduct of spending time with Jesus. It's just, you know, um, in uh, Corinthians it says, uh, and we all with unveiled face are beholding the glory of God, are, are being transformed in the same image from one degree, one degree of glory to the next. And it's really just spending time with him. And, you know, Jesus is a person. It's not like he's like this mystical like entity that's like far away. Like he has flesh and he has a heartbeat and he's got fingernails and he has, you know, uh, maybe a beard. I don't know. Um, but, but the more that we spend time with him and that we'll become like him and it's just intimacy with him. It's, it's reading his word and spending time in prayer and just with his spirit. It's, you know, his fruit manifesting through us. And if we don't spend time with him, then we're just going to go along with what the world has to say. Yeah. And so I think that holiness is, it's just time with him, you know. It's mm-hmm. beholding his, like, set apart. It's not like his holiness is bad. It's just, it's, it's like, dangerous, you know, to be in his presence because yeah. he's so holy. And so 
we can look at God through Jesus as, you know, he, the veil has been torn because we can come to God confidently and before him because of what Jesus did on the cross. So it's, it's just he made it that way for us to come boldly before God and, um, and just a reverent fear, but just a fear that's, it's, it's a good fear. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think one of the biggest traps we fall into so often is thinking that this whole Christian thing, this holiness thing, you know, like, like both of you guys have kind of pushed against is I just need to do better. Like I'm just, I'm gonna start going to that Wednesday night thing at that church to like become a better person, to like be better, to, to like move my stock up on the holiness meter as a, and do more and do the right things and do less of the wrong things as opposed to that I'm gonna, I'm gonna go die to myself. You know, I'm gonna, the rhetoric of the New Testament of Jesus wasn't just, hey, do this list. It was pick up your cross and follow. It was abide in me. It was, you know, come and die. It was, you know, it was, it was that picture. And I love that, man. It's, and are we ready to surrender? Are we, and we sing these songs about, you know, the surrender and this blood of Jesus. And, and man, are we resting in that? Which is a surrender. It's an abiding. It's a, it's a this thing isn't about me. Um, yeah, I, j- I just spent three hours on Saturday in a shelter with a um, Muslim man um, that, he, you know, just the contrast in our approach to holiness, uh, they, in their ideology, are, are motivated by wanting to gain God's favor. And I was just able to, to share with him that contrast that because he has, he has, he's almost my, he's in his 50s, and he's seen a lot. He's from Iraq. He's, he uh, showed me a picture when I, uh, I was with him in the park for a couple hours on Thursday, and then he and his wife invited us to spend a few hours with him in his shelter on Saturday before we got on the plane. And there he pulled out these pictures of his son, uh, the lifeless body of his son, bullet-ridden, where ISIS had killed his son in front of him, um, long story short. But you know, a, a level of grief that I just can't imagine. But um, his, you know, just what uh, what he has encountered through his whole life, even early on, he has encountered Christians. And so often, Muslims who come to faith have encountered Christians in many different events in their life. But as he went through with his family, pulled him out of Iraq and came across Turkey and you know, every every step of the way in his refugee journey, he has been greeted by Christians and ministered to by Christians. So he had this concept that Christians are just these people that do all these good works. I was able to just tell him where, where we're coming from is that we're not doing those in the way that you might think to gain God's favor. We're doing those out of response to what God has already done for us. So just a real contrast. I, mm-hmm. I like what y'all said. Yeah. Yeah. There, well, this was. Uh, this is in Colossians. It says, "And you who were once alienated, and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach mm-hmm. before him." So it's, you know, Jesus. Jesus died so that he could present you holy and blameless before the Father. So it's a gift, and so it's a response. Holiness is, it comes from, you know, it's, I don't want to sin so that I can get away with it because Jesus died for me. It's, you know, I have been reconciled to the eternal, infinite God who created the heavens and the earth, and it's not by my merit. It's by what Christ did on the cross, and it's a gift. And so this gift that God gave me is I'm going to respond now out of 
God's goodness, I'm going to respond out of my love for him to go and do the things that God's asked me to do. And I wanted to speak earlier on this. I, I, I didn't really clear it up, but like, I feel like there, sometimes in the church there is this instance to say, like, man, like, you know, you know the pastor or the, the preacher is, like, the really spiritual one, and, like, you know, I'm kind of less than. And, and I just, like, God has called each of you to something so great. God wants to use, where's Adam at, the lawyer? He's up there. I, I, well, I just thought, like, I was thinking earlier, I was like, God, God wants you, Adam, to be set apart, and he wants you to bring his kingdom into your law firm. Like, that's what God wants to do. He wants to transform the city of Fort Worth through you and through the business leaders in here. And, and it's, not, it's not, you know, just the, you know, the pastor and the teacher. It's really God wants to do his work through you guys. And he wants to bless this world through you so that his kingdom will come on the earth, that the people can be set free from fear. People can get set free from depression. People mm-hmm. can get set free from anxiety. Mm-hmm. And he's going to do that through you, and he just wants you to surrender to that. Yeah. It's, not like, it's not how much you know. It's, it's who you know. If you can just stay connected to the vine, mm-hmm. stay connected to Jesus, he wants to use you in your workplaces to transform the city. Absolutely. That's, what, that's what God wants. And yeah. that's what... All of this should just be stirring us to that, this, mm-hmm. the reality that he wants to use all of us. And our, and our hope is that we show up to things like this as a celebration of what's happening throughout our weeks constantly, mm-hmm. that, that mm-hmm. we don't just come here to now be fed and to become these kind of spiritually obese Christians, but we, uh, we instead are going and doing, and this becomes a celebration. Yep. And that's a really weird term to use for it. That's what happens so often, man. So often we think of our faith as like we just intake, right? We sit, and then we show up to these Christian things or we listen to Christian podcasts and we just intake and we're not responding and we're not going and doing uh, in, in that way. And so, man, here's, because we're out of time, did you have one more thought? Well, yeah, oh, just from somebody that spent the quick. first few decades trying to walk this out sure. in a way that was like understanding how bad I needed to nurture and nourish myself as a believer, I took my spiritual kind of I just I suffered a, for under su- spiritual self-sufficiency basically mm-hmm. for the first few decades and it wasn't uh, until I began to just put myself under the accountability of other men and begin to walk in accountability with other men that there became a change from just taking my spirituality for granted and yeah. feeling self-sufficient in that to actually entering into the word in a different way where I expected it to transform me. Yeah. But uh, so that, to me, I just want to encourage you, if you're not, if you don't have accountability around you, if you're not in community, genuine community where you've got people that are willing to call you out and hold you accountable, then this, this, this process of being sanctified, which I think is what I call holiness, is just not going to be very fruitful. You need the help. We need the help of one another. I also want to distinguish, not that I'm a theologian, like my son, but, and so this may, may not be quite accurate, but I distinguish between righteousness and holiness in a way that my righteousness is a God deal. As y'all said already, Carly and and Ryan both, um, and further on, Paul says here, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. Our righteousness is taken care of in Christ. It's the holiness that he wants to walk out and, and in our sanctification process. That's good. We need each other's help That's desperately. Good. From a 65-year-old man, take my word for it. Yeah. From a 65-year-old man who, who really does walk, walk the talk, because uh, I have plenty of reasons to just razz him all the time. 
uh, but he, he does, and, and all of these guys do, and uh, I really have been proud to, to hear them speak truth because these are three people who walk it. Um, they walk it in their life, and I've seen it. Um, here's, here's what I hope you hear. Here, we're going to end on this. Um, there's a lot, man. It's a fire hose of, of stuff. The Lord's going to take with it, and I don't know what's going on in your life. The Lord's going to use it in all kinds of different ways, and that's cool. Our job is just to throw seeds, and he's going to do whatever he wants to do with it. Um, man, God has a purpose behind suffering um, that we have seen in our lives, uh, not just heard about it, but hopefully you saw tonight how suffering is not only the sovereign hand of God in ways, where it's like, oh my gosh, that's a horrible tragedy. No, no, yeah, it seems that way, but man, in the big picture of what God's doing, he is sovereign behind it, he's in control, but also how he uses it, how he's still good despite suffering, but then also holiness, that you know, if you're sitting here tonight and you have a perspective of, of how you desire to get to God as, I'm gonna start doing these things to get up to that place with him where I am more accepted and more level, then tonight, I hope you not just heard, but see these lives saying, man, stop striving for him. Stop striving for that righteousness. He is offering it as a free gift. And that all of the worship and obedience and uh, good works that happen in our life and love for Jesus is a response to what he has done. And I hope you heard that tonight. And I hope that the Holy Spirit takes that and clicks in your heart tonight in a way that only he can do. We can't do it. This panel can't do it. Our songs can't do it. The Holy Spirit takes that and clicks it and says, hey, son, daughter, Stop striving for me. Come and rest in me. Come and rest in me. And I am, I am here and I love you. And in the blood of Christ, in your acceptance and faith in Jesus Christ, stop striving and be my son, be my daughter, fully accepted. And then you get to live your life being fully accepted, responding to that with joy and love and obedience and worship and all of those other things as a response. And for the person in this room who has heard that and preached that a thousand times, that you would hear that and you would see tonight, oh, the sweet, sweet depth that is in that statement. And that you would protect yourself from feeling like, okay, yeah, I hope, I hope, a, non, I hope a non-Christian hears this tonight. And that you would hear that and your heart would not go callous. Your heart would not see that as shallow. Your heart would not see that as JV. But instead, you would sit here tonight and think, why are my affections not more stirred? What am I missing that the death of Jesus Christ, the acceptance, my adoption as a son, knowing I deserve hell, why are my affections not stirred? Why do I not want to go be a radical light in my workplace with that truth? Why is my response shallow? Why is my affection shallow? Why is my obedience shallow in JV? I'm not applying this deep enough. We're not going to present you new truth for, for deeper depth. We're going to present you with the gospel and challenge the Holy Spirit in your life to say, take that deeper, that the death, burial, and resurrection of someone who walked this earth 2,000 years ago changes everything for how you interact in traffic. It changes everything for how you interact with your coworkers. It changes everything for how you interact with your boyfriend and girlfriend because we had a Savior that lived and died and rose again. So, man, I hope that that's what the Lord takes and does whatever he wants to with your life. I hope that's what you saw. I don't know what else you got from, from tonight, but I know that seeds were cast, and, and that's my hope. Uh, what I'd like to do is ask Carly, will you pray for us tonight? Pray for, pray for whatever the Spirit has put on, on your heart tonight, and then we're going to get back up, and we're going to respond. We're not going to sing to earn his love. We're going to respond with a couple of worship songs and call tonight. Thank you. Um, Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for just the depth of the gospel, um, God, and I thank you that it will never um, 
be something that we don't need, God. I thank you that it is um, so deep, God, and we can't ever know enough about it, Lord. So I pray for just all of us in the room. I pray that you would just start um, to just create in us a, a desire to um, just fall in love with you and the person of Jesus, God. And I pray from there that you would create um, just... I don't know, um, holiness in us, God, one that we couldn't do ourselves. And so, God, we are yours. We give you our lives, and we surrender to you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.